if you were to notice that I had said or done something that was wrong, what would you do? More importantly, what does God's word say you should do? This is the question which the Apostle Paul deals with in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. But before we come to look at those words, we must always look at a verse in its context. This epistle was written, as we read in chapter 1, verse 1, by Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me. The apostle wrote to churches, unto the churches of Galatia, not an individual congregation, but several churches likely the churches that he had visited on his missionary journey, which you could find in modern-day Turkey. And as he wrote, his desire for them was that grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on there, chapter 1, verse 4, to describe the essential work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says there, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So the Apostle Paul was writing to Christians. He was writing about the good news of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done and is doing. In Galatians, we see the wonderful truth of the gospel clearly set forth and, and this is important, and defended in the face of error. There were those who were trying to add to the gospel. We read in chapter 3, verse 13, the just shall live by faith. That was the, the basic principle. That was how Abraham was saved. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. In chapter 1 verse 8 we read some of the most somber words you'll find in the Bible. Uh, Paul says, if you take verse 7, which is not another 
gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul says, if I preach another gospel, let me be accursed. That surely is one of the most somber words in all of Scripture. He writes in defense of the gospel of grace, salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In chapter 5 of Galatians, we come to see how a community of Christians are to live out the gospel. Chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He goes on to contrast the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are, are all bad. They're contaminated. They are foul. They are horrible. In general terms, even today, people relate to the fact that if you set out and hurt your neighbour, even kill your neighbour, murder them, it is wrong. There are limits to modern man's understanding and some of that has been rather twisted and warped. But nevertheless, the principle is there. People do realise that some things are horrible. The, 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 the works of the flesh are bad, consistently bad. And it's an unpleasant list to read through. But in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit. You read that list, it begins with love and joy. It's a glorious list. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In general terms, people recognize that love and joy and peace are good. And they are consistent throughout one's life if you are totally walking in the spirit it's not to say though that any of us are sinlessly perfect these fruits of the spirit this trans 
transforming work of the Holy Spirit is to be seen in the community of saints gathered together. The local church. Our fellowship. Our togetherness is to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. We as a local church are to be a, a community of those who live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Where love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness are seen. And this is the context in which we come to chapter 6, verse 1. Remembering as ever that chapter divisions were just put in to help us divide the text up a little, find our place. There are no sense inspired. Sometimes they are hindrances. They do more harm than good. But chapter 6, verse 1, which reads, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So my first point is don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. There will be occasions when you notice that a brother or a sister has transgressed God's law. We are not yet completely sanctified. We are all works in progress. Notice how our text says, If any man be overtaken with a fault. The apostle is talking about people in the church. The word any highlights that we are all at risk of transgressing, of doing or saying something which is contrary to God's law. The end of verse 6, the one who sees the sin is also warned to be cautious, lest thou also fall into temptation. We are all weak in the flesh. There's always the possibility of sin overtaking us. It may be violent anger, but it could also be a sense of pride. I thank thee, God, that I am not like him. We must always be aware that the heart is deceitful. And at the moment we think we stand. There's that risk that we will fall. These are solemn words. 
We're all weak. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 tells us, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. Hardened? Through the deceitfulness of sin. It's possible to tolerate sin because it is deceitful. We don't realize how bad it is. Proverbs 14 verse 12 There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, do not be shocked if someone does to say something that is clearly wrong, even in the church community. Remember, Abraham was a man of faith. He left his home country in answer to the call of the Lord. Yet, later, when the famine came, he went down into Egypt. And there, he misled Pharaoh. He failed to trust the Lord. He bore false witness to Pharaoh over who Sarah, his wife, was, describing her as his sister. That was wrong. Then think of King David. King David who was used to write so many of the Psalms. Such beautiful words of praise and worship. But though he was one who had won many victories, yet in a few moments he looked at something he shouldn't have. And when he acted on his desire, it led to murder. He arranged the death of Uriah the Hittite to cover up his sin. You can read about those sad events in Second Samuel chapter 11. The Bible is an honest book that presents to us these men of faith in all their fullness. They were also men who fell into sin. The thing which David had done displeased the Lord. And he had to pay in his life the consequences of his sin. Peter was another one. Apostle Peter. He was a man of strong action. Matthew chapter 26 verse 33. He was very confident. Jesus had been talking about his disciples abandoning him. Peter said, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. 
He was full of confidence. Yet it was the same Peter who just a short time later vehemently denied the Lord. He denied the avenue. A simple maid asked him a question. And he fell into transgression, denying the Lord. Martin Luther quotes Augustine as saying, There is nothing which any man hath done, but another man may do the same. No matter how long you have been a Christian, you can fall into some transgression. So, don't be surprised when you see a fellow disciple of Christ sin in some way. Indeed, look to yourself that you are not also falling into temptation. But our verse doesn't end there. Let us see secondly. Ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Restore. Make them good again. Lift them up. Draw them back into fellowship. This is the, the, the plural you, ye which are spiritual. Paul is addressing the whole church here. Do you have spiritual life? If you do, then it is your responsibility to help the one who has stumbled. Who has spiritual life? Those who have been born again of the Holy Spirit. Those who have heard the glorious gospel truth. Repented and believed. They are the ones who have spiritual life. The word for restore means to, to make complete again. It is used of the fisherman mending his nets. And that is a, a skilled, a patient job. If you have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you have all you need to seek to help restore your neighbour. This is not a work for a few. It is for all of us. When one part of the body fails, the whole body is affected. We know that's true. If you stub your toe, you feel the pain throughout yourself. You can't concentrate on things. You just focus on trying to make that pain go away. To restore your toe to how it was. Jesus gave us the, the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd 
had 100 sheep and one of them went astray. What did that shepherd do? He took time and effort to go after that one sheep and restore it onto the flock again. That's primarily a a picture of Christ the Good Shepherd and how he seeks out and restores the one. There is a a special role for the eldership in the church, the under-shepherds in the work. They are to be skilled in handling scripture and patient in dealing with people. However, what Paul says here could not be clearer. Ye which are spiritual. Those of us who have been born again of the Holy Spirit, we have this responsibility to reach out, to seek to help, restore the one who has gone astray to bring again that person into the close fellowship of the flock, the people of God. As verse 4 of Galatians chapter 6 makes clear. Rather verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. That verse is said in the context of what's in verse 1. But of course it's wider than verse 1. However, Falling into transgression is a heavy load, a heavy burden. The way of the transgressor is hard. We are here to help each other. To be able to help each other, we need to know each other. We need to know about each other. Spend time together. Church is not a concert. We don't come as strangers. Sit in our allotted seat for an hour or two or three during the week. Sing and listen and go home. We are not to be independent. We are to be members together. In Christ, the different parts of the body, the foot, the hand, the heart, the lungs, the liver, all these individual parts, together, mutual support, serving the Lord together. This sense of belonging in Christ is very, very important. And it's in that context that we are to bear one another's burdens, to help each other. And that certainly includes one who has fallen into a transgression 
amongst all the other burdens of life that we are to help each other with. If someone falls down, those who are closest are to be the first to help them back onto their feet again. Think of the, the, the parable commonly known as the Good Samaritan. There were those who saw the problem but walked on by and left it for somebody else. It's not my problem. But it is. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Each of us is here as a part of the body of Christ to help each other. This is part of having love one for another. But it's not about having empathy with someone in their sin. We must be clear about that. It's it's not to try to just ease the person's sense of guilt and make that sense of guilt just go away. Many problems in life are, are caused actually because people feel guilty about their sin. They try to hide the guilt, repress the guilt, pretend that it's not really that bad. But rather... We are to seek gently and clearly to help them to see that their problem is sin. And that the answer to sin is repentance and faith. David, King David, is an example of this. David had sinned. David was guilty. But David didn't realise it. The Nathan, Nathan the prophet, came to David. What did he do to help David? He told him a story. He told him about a man whose sheep were stolen. David became angry. He wanted justice. The immediate justice. But Nathan then just said to him, we read that in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. What did he say? Well, we, we read the whole passage there. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. 
And there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. David could clearly see that man's guilt. He wanted justice. But Nathan simply said to him, Thou art the man. Nathan had brought King David along the path of thinking through matters. And only then did he bring him to the point of seeing his own guilt. That brought David to that place of godly sorrow. And repentance. And you can read about David's response. She poured out his guilt before the Lord in Psalm number 51. Every case is different. But we are not here to exact revenge. We are here in love to seek to restore. When you find someone in the church has fallen into transgression, our first thought must be how we who are spiritual can restore them to their place of fellowship in the church by helping them to confront and deal with their sin. Considering thyself also, lest thou also fall into temptation. And that's our third point. Beware of falling into sin yourself. This is the second area where the attitude of meekness is so important. When someone needs our help to restore them, we have to approach them with meekness that they might hear just as King David heard Nathan. We're not going in there with the loud accusations and utter condemnation, but seeking to help them be restored. But we must also remember we should be meek because if our brother is sinned, how much more likely is it that I could sin? In that moment, I am vulnerable to falling into temptation myself. We have the scripture, we have the opportunity to use it. But even when attempting the best of work, there's this danger of falling into sin. When you approach your brother about their sin, Perhaps a brother has become angry. It looks like sinful anger to you. He won't listen. 
very easy to become angry yourself. To go too far in what you say. With a sense of self-righteousness. Each situation is different. Each of us are different. But there's always this risk. We must remember that we are all sinners before the Holy God. It is only by the grace of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial and resurrection, that we are accepted before the throne of grace. It's not of my merit. I am not perfect. I am a sinner saved by grace. And it is in that attitude that we are to seek to help one another. We have this duty to bear one another's burdens. And we have to be careful that in our attempts we are not just making things worse. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 gives us the helpful guidance. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us that picture of the man who had something in his eye. He needed his neighbor's help to clear it out of his eye. But if you've got a big beam, and the picture Jesus painted was very graphic, a, a huge big plank sticking out of your eye, you can't come and take a little speck of dust out of someone else's eye. You've got to get that plank taken out first before you can help your neighbour. And each of us must live our lives with that real sense of knowing. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We must be those who come before the Lord and say, forgive me this day our trespasses. Even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Just as that shepherd left the ninety and nine and went to draw back that one that had gone astray, we should have a similar attitude, an attitude of caring for the individual. Be like that shepherd to help our brothers in the Lord to grow in grace. Paul said, chapter 4, verse 19 here, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed 
in you. The picture is indeed a tender one. His desire was that everyone in the church should be more like Christ. The answer to the problems and burdens of life always comes back to the grace of God. I need to see myself as a sinner saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But so do you. We've been talking this morning about those who are spiritual. What about you? Do you know your own sin? Have you seen the wondrous glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why he came from heaven's glory to go to that cross and die. The good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I do pray that this day you would hear the voice of the good shepherd and you would follow him. For God so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came that all who believe in him shall be saved. Amen.